Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. We as a church, and like I say, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be in the season of Advent. Beautiful season. It's not Christmas, all right? It's not Christmas. Advent is the longing for the coming of Jesus, yeah? Does anybody long for Jesus to come again? Yeah? Yeah? Good. Good for you. Fantastic. Cultivate that longing within yourself. That's what Advent is. But until we get there, we're completing a time in the Bible, and we've been giving it the title Futurology. Um, Just this idea that God speaks. Does anybody believe this morning that God speaks? Yeah? The Bible teaches us really clearly that, well, honestly, there wouldn't be anything if God didn't speak, because right at the way back whens of the Bible, it says that in the beginning there was just God, nothing else, absolutely nothing else. And into this void... He spoke, and he said, let there be light, and there was. It's quite powerful, isn't it? Yeah? None of us have that power. Yeah? You know, we can go around as much as we want saying, let there be a cup of tea. But unless somebody actually boils the kettle and all that, it it isn't going to happen. I don't know. Some of you are looking at me like, I have that power in my house, actually. (laughs) I speak, and there is tea. Um, Yeah. God speaks, but he isn't done speaking. He continues to speak. And we've been scanning through the Bible, particularly looking into a book that's a bit crazy, but utterly wondrous, a book of prophecy, we say, of of visionary seeing the things of God. It's the book of Daniel. And we've been seeing how within this long line, God has continuously been speaking. He's been speaking things that are otherwise unknowable stuff. Has anyone got the humility to accept that they don't know everything? Is anyone all right with that? We okay with that? All right. We know that that's true, and I'm not just talking about algebra. We know that it's true fundamentally, don't we? And the Bible says that the secret things of life, the universe, and everything, the secret things belong to our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our kids generations to come so that we can walk in them, so that we can be holy, so that we can know God and show God. There are unknowable things, but God chooses to speak. He chooses to reveal. He chooses to introduce himself to you. And You scan through the Old Testament, the Bible, and he speaks over and over again, and he speaks to call forth things, but he speaks to call out his people as well. And and then the Bible teaches really clearly that there's going to come one who, in the mold of a prophet, that's somebody who speaks these these things of God, there's going to come one who'll speak them perfectly. And that'll be the game changer. And, you know, we talk about Advent, this longing for Jesus. You know, all the way through the Bible, people are longing for God to come and, and change the game, yeah? Change the game of the brokenness of our world. Change the game of injustice. Change the game of hurting and and helplessness. Change the game whereby the strong abuse the weak. And people have been longing for something different because we know in our hearts that this is not how it's meant to be. Don't we know that? We know this, don't we? And they were longing and longing and longing. And into that longing comes Jesus, comes a baby. Yeah? Michael and Ruva. And, you know, they're saying... Oh, when's the baby going to come? The baby came almost bang on, didn't it? I think it was Friday, the due date. And the baby was like, oh, I'm just going to leave them waiting a little bit. 
just a little bit, just a few hours. And then, ta-da! That's how I imagine it. Um, into, into the longing comes Jesus. Perfectly fulfills the word, the revelation of God. So that season is complete in Jesus. We came to this table and we talked about the completeness of Jesus. But God hasn't stopped speaking. God hasn't stopped speaking. And God continues to speak. You read through the New Testament. He continues to speak to the people who have encountered Jesus. He speaks to them in those moments of encounter. But he speaks to them all the way through their lives. And, you know, we don't see Jesus. You know, we don't see him walking this world nowadays. People did. Literally, historically, it's a fact. We don't see that now. But what we do have is God's spirit. And he is as present with us today as Jesus was present with those 12 guys, his disciples way back when, and all the other people in that part of the world. And the spirit of God speaks today. And the Spirit of God speaks, first and foremost, that Jesus may be glorified. That we may see Jesus and honor him rightly. This is the first and and the primary work of the Spirit. But the Spirit of God also speaks so that we may walk in his ways. So that we may hear his call, his invitation, but also his challenge, his sending to our lives. And God speaks today, this morning, for the little bit of time that we have left. I want to take this opportunity to, to speak the things of God. He's saying, Pastor Greg, that's your job. <laughs> what else would you do? I want to speak things of God that I believe are very current. And you know, I said before that the, the, the prophetic work of God is to call things forth, Yeah. It's to call things forth. You've got that image perhaps of Lazarus, Jesus, mate, and he died. And, you know, they buried him three days. And they're like, oh, Jesus, no, he's going to stink. Don't open that tomb. But they roll the stone away. And Jesus calls him forth, doesn't he? He says, Lazarus, come out. And he totters forward, all wrapped up in his, you know, grave clothes. But they release him and he goes. And amazing. The work of the prophetic, the work of the Spirit in calling things forth, but the work of the Spirit in calling us out, yeah? You cast your mind back, I don't know, to the playground. Does anyone ever get called out for a fight? Did that ever happen? Yeah? Even me, a couple times. I know. Can't imagine me fighting, can you? I was rubbish at it, I have to tell you. Not a fighter, not really. Well, I am, but just, you know. Now, this morning, I want to call you out, not for a fight round by the bike sheds. All right, I don't, you, I don't want you to fight with me. Honestly, I'm looking at you. I, I might be able to take one or two of you, but I, can't think, I don't think I can take all of you. I don't want you to fight against me. I want to call you out this morning to fight with me. Do you understand what I mean? That there's a calling upon us as a church. There's a, a prophetic urge, an urgency upon us that we would fight together, yeah? And we're called to fight together for the sake of the last and the least and the lost. Those same injustices that Jesus came to completely game change, you know, they're still smoldering away, yeah? There are still skirmishes to be fought in. Jesus has won the ultimate victory, 
Didn't we celebrate it just before? If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, yeah? All things have passed away. Everything's made new. I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And as much as I live now, it is Christ that I'm living. This is what we're called into. I want to call you out this morning, even as we call things forth. What does the future hold? What might we be? What should it look like for a church? Like those churches in your Bible, the people of the, the book of Acts, for instance, to be a church of devotion. Church is pretty simple, really. It's pretty simple, really. Church only really requires three things. A people who genuinely love God, people who genuinely love each other, and people who share that good news with others. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's pretty simple. Genuinely love God, genuinely love each other, and share that good news with people who don't yet know. Would you read a bit of the Bible with me this morning? We're going to head to Luke chapter 5. Now, Luke is one of the, the storytellers who told the good news about Jesus. You know, he was in that kind of grouping and gathered together the stories about Jesus. And he wrote what we call a gospel, which means itself good news. And in Luke chapter 5, we're quite near the beginning of the story of Jesus. And something really incredible is going to happen. We're going to read from the beginning of that chapter. So... On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. There's two boats just there on the edge. But the fishermen had got out of them, and they were washing their nets. You wash your nets when you're done, yeah? When you're finished. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land to launch the boat, just a bit. And he sat down, this is Jesus, and taught the people from the boat. You see, Jesus had already started to teach. And he taught with authority. And Jesus had already started to say the kingdom of God is here. But he'd already started to show what that looked like. He'd already started to heal people who were sick. He'd already started to set people free who were in pain and hurting and, and broken and tied up with all sorts of horrific stuff. And so when Jesus went somewhere, people followed. They wanted to hear what he had to say, and they wanted to see what he had to do. Okay? If we want to be like Jesus, that should be a characteristic of us. That people want to hear what we have to say, because we're talking of him. And they want to see what we have to do, because we're operating in his power. Yeah? This is good. So people started to come, and Jesus sat in the boat, a little way out, started to talk. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep. We're right by the shore now, but let's go further. Let's go deeper. Let's get out where it's a bit, you know, wild. The wind can get up, you know, it can get a bit leery, but let's go out there. And let down your nets for a catch. Those nets that you've just washed and hung out to dry. Get them, because we're going to make them mucky again. Ooh. Is anybody a neat freak here this morning? Yeah. Does that really sit really badly with you? You've just tidied something, and then, oh, my word. I feel Jesus has been teaching me something recently. 
I tidy. Um, I'm not going to say whether other people in the household tidy or not. I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> it's disgraceful. Um, Judah, though, he wants to enjoy things. Should we put it like that? So you find that you're regular, you're putting things away, and then you go to put something else away, and you come back, and the first thing is out again. Oh, can you feel my pain? Can you feel it? God's working on me. He's changing me by his grace. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Um, those nets, Simon. Let's go out there, and we'll, we'll do it. And Simon answered, verse 5, Master. It's always a good way to start talking to Jesus. Master. We toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee. Can everyone say Zebedee with me? Zebedee. For no other reason than it's just it's nice to say, isn't it? Zebedee. Anybody thinking of a guy on a spring right now? Yeah. James and John, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Hmm. In Luke chapter 4, the, the bit of the Bible that comes immediately before this story, Jesus is in his hometown and he's in the synagogue. That was the place of Jewish worship. And there he was, and as was their practice, the scroll was opened, and that day it was opened to a portion of prophecy. God had revealed long ago, hundreds of years in fact, before, certain things about how God was going to come into our world and make a difference, how he was going to send one, the perfect man, who was going to come, the Messiah, the Bible teaches of him, this anointed one, sent to do God's work. And Jesus is given the scroll of the scriptures, this holy piece of uh, scripture, and he opens it up and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. And he goes to all the things that he's anointed to, preaching good news and setting people free and opening the eyes of the blind, proclaiming liberty to the captives and the year of the Lord's favor, all this incredible stuff. And then he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's what we were talking about before, that the prophecy of times past, that God's not done with his world, that he's not done with people. Say to somebody near you, God's not done with you. Would you say to someone, God's not done with you? All of this incredible stuff it came to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he's not really the full stop on the end of that sentence. He's the exclamation mark. Jesus is the, wow! Everything that you've been speaking about, wow! Here in Jesus. And Jesus is explaining to them it's been fulfilled. And he's getting about his mission. 
bringing the kingdom of God. And, and, and he determines, as was the will of his father, not to do it on his own. And so he starts to call these followers, these people, to come to himself, just like we read with this guy Simon, who would be known as Simon Peter, or, or then Peter. And, uh, and Jesus calls these people, not because he really needs a hand. Uh, Jesus can pretty much do anything he wants to. Yeah, that's an important thing for you to know. Uh, but because he chooses to partner with people to teach people, to bring people along with him. Not just so that their lives can be changed, but so that then they might be people who can bring other people, yeah? yeah. Do you know this morning that God has done the wonder work in your life that he has, not just for you? It's so that your friends and your family and your neighbors can also be brought along by you. And that's the pattern that Jesus initiates here. And he and he calls Simon Peter. How does he call Simon Peter? Well, he gets in his boat, yeah? I don't know, imagine it. Traffic lights outside, two cars at the traffic lights. There they are. And Jesus comes, and he just gets into your car. He's just going to freak out on you. Where is this in my car? What are they doing? Uh, there's something about Jesus that obviously, you know, enables a different response. Peter had heard about Jesus, no doubt, had some sense of what Jesus was. But Jesus, he says, not that boat, this boat. And he gets in. Simon, put it out a little bit. I'm going to teach. And Peter, coming back from washing nets, he goes with it. Yeah? He goes with what God is doing. He's willing to let Jesus use his boat, which is his livelihood. His livelihood is his sense of identity. He doesn't just fish, he's a fisherman. It's his identity that Jesus then uses as a platform for teaching. See, Jesus, this is why we're making these Christmas connections. Jesus is not interested in you just giving something. Jesus wants you. You. It's not just Peter. Oh, have you earned a bit of money from fishing? Oh, I'll take that and then I'll go and I'll do my business elsewhere. No. It's Jesus, uh, your livelihood, who you are, what you do, you, Peter, that's what I want. And so Jesus gets in his boat. It's not to be fobbed off with a gift. It's you, Peter, making connection. And then comes the real challenge. For having taught, Jesus says, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Peter, you might be thinking, well, I know what the catch is here, Jesus. The catch is there are no fish. This is the catch. He's been out all night. He's not been faking it. He's genuinely been out all night. That's when they would do a lot of their fishing in times that were cooler because the fish would be more likely to be gathering in their shoals and more catchable. And he got nothing. And Peter's not a kid. He knows what he's doing. He's been out fishing before. He knows his business. How does he respond to Jesus? He says, Master. Now, you might be a person who's heard the reputation of Jesus. You might have heard about Jesus. You might know a little bit of the, the teachings of Jesus. You might have some respect for those things. But I would invite you today, when you encounter Jesus, when you come before Jesus... Don't just talk about his stuff. 
have some respect for him. Can you do that? It's a big ask. And there's a part of us that will perhaps want to rebel against that, especially when Jesus says, oh, by the way, I'm taking your boat. Um, you know, we say, oh, no, no. But Peter shows us a way here. It's a way of respect. It's a way of obedience. Master, it's a way of honesty as well. See, Peter, he says, you know, we've been toiling all night, but we haven't caught anything. Not caught anything. I wonder whether you would count yourself a Christian this morning or not. Whether you'd say I'm a person of faith or belief or spirituality or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, can we be some, have some honesty here? The honesty, wherever we are, is to say, actually, there is this incredible calling upon our lives. The calling on our lives, it's just like the calling of Jesus. It's actually to see this entire world revolutionized, one life by one life by one life by one life. That we see the people around us changed by the goodness and the grace of God, by the good news of life in Christ Jesus. And I wonder, can you be honest with me this morning? How's the catch going? How's the catch going? What's the change that we're seeing? Where's the harvest? I celebrate. I, genu I celebrate every single person who comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's amazing. And I celebrate it. But the Bible tells me that heaven celebrates it way more. It's like just nonstop mental parties in heaven. Does anybody want to go to heaven? Uh, yeah, okay, it's pretty good. But I know that there are many, many people who haven't even heard the good news of life in Jesus. Or if they've heard it once, then they don't really know what it means. They don't want to know what it looks like. They can't taste it. They can't sense it. They can't feel it. And even if perhaps they are getting to grips with that, they still haven't yet come to know newness of life in Christ Jesus. I feel like Peter sometimes. I feel like him sometimes. It's like, sir, master, we've been toiling all night, but without a catch. Does anyone ever feel like that? Oh, okay, these are the rest of you. You know, you haven't quite got it yet, or you're being a bit dishonest. <laughs> it can feel like that sometimes. And there is still brokenness in our world and injustice and hurt and pain. And there is still so much to be done and so many to be reached and so much life to be brought, and we feel like that. But what does Peter say? What does he say? At your word, I will let down the nets. Jesus doesn't know anything about fishing. He's a carpenter or a builder. Yeah? Doesn't know anything about fishing, as far as Peter knows. But at your word, I will let down the nets. I wonder, how much of your time and your energies is spent serving the things that you understand? And how much is serving the unknowable wonder of Jesus? If it is dependent upon you to understand everything before you step out in faith, before you invite Jesus into your boat, before you'll put your boat out into the deep waters, if it's dependent upon your level of understanding or skill, then I, I'm sorry, but the world is doomed. 
And I don't say that just to have a go at you or me, to say that we're not going to get enough. You know, I know that you, some of you are smart people and you achieve in loads of different spheres of life and God has given you those giftings and those opportunities to achieve things. But there's something within the economy of God, within the will of God, within the work of the gospel that you're not always going to get, but you are always going to get a call. Yeah? You're not going to get understanding about everything. But God doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, oh, Greg, he gets some things, but he doesn't get other things. I'll move on to the next. I'll call someone else. No, the Bible says God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. That his strength is made perfect in weakness. And God is looking for people who say, I know that there is foolishness within my understanding. I know there's weakness within my life. But I hear the call, and I'm going to put out into the deep water. I'm going to put out into the deep water. It's a recent um, business book and business idea that I heard about just this week. And it's, um, it's this idea that there are different types of oceans. And that the idea goes that there's a red ocean and a blue ocean. Has anyone ever heard of this? Okay, one or two of you have. But, uh, and, and the idea is that the blue ocean is where it's all happening. We're going to come there in a minute. But the, most people, most businesses, they say, operate in the red ocean. And imagine, if you will, that once upon a time, people have seen that there's fish in this part of the ocean, yeah? And then the sharks have come because they like the taste of fish, yeah? And so a shark has come, and he's doing really well. And, all, you know, is anyone queasy? Um, because when a shark comes to be with a fish, it's not to make friends, okay? It gets a little messy. And so you understand why the ocean might turn red, don't you? Okay. But what happens over time is other sharks come, drawn to where they think that everything's happening. But of course, the fish are getting depleted. The sharks are getting frustrated. They're having to go at each other, and the ocean's getting redder and redder and redder, and not for any good reason. And this business idea goes that actually there's a whole blue ocean out there. What are you doing all in the red ocean when there's so much more? And Jesus pioneered this business idea some time ago. And he said, come on out into the deeper water. Launch your boat. Be all right with me being in your boat. And launch out. There's plenty to be done. There's plenty of fish. So much to be done. It's a little more scary. It's not what everyone else is doing or has done before, but that is where the action is at. You know, Peter, he's not being disobedient. He's disappointed. But he's obedient. I wonder, are you disappointed with religion? So you should be. It's disappointing. Jesus calls you out into the big blue ocean to be with him. Jesus in your boat, seeing miracles happen. Will you be obedient? Are you disappointed? Are you disillusioned with your own abilities to craft a life? Your own strength, your own capacities. You know as well as I do, we all come to the end of ourselves and oftentimes very quickly. You make a life of that, you will find disappointment at the end, I promise you. It's always been the way. Jesus calls us, even though we're disappointed. Come on, be honest, be honest. Be honest and say there's more, there's more. 
Get Jesus in your boat and push out to the deeper waters. To the deeper waters. At the word of Jesus, everything changes. You know, we endeavor to hear and to follow the word of God. We want to hear the Spirit calling us. And we want to follow him carefully. I know I have invited you into various ways of discipleship and mission. And I haven't done so lightly. I've done so because we believe at the leadership. And as we move it through the church, we believe as a church that we're hearing from God and we're following him. I want to challenge you this morning. I want to call you out, even as I want to call things forth. Come on. When are you going to get engaged? When are you going to join in? I know you've invited Jesus into your boat, many of you, most of you, at some point in some way. Maybe you've found Jesus in your boat and then you've just become all right with it as time has gone along. I don't know. Time is coming. Are you going to launch out? Are you going to launch out? Are you going to launch out? Many of us, we tell ourselves, if we saw that miraculous catch of fish, then we'd be obedient. Has anyone ever found that coming into you a little bit? Oh, do you know, if I saw all those nets full of fish, I'd do anything. I'd go anywhere. It'd be amazing. I'd give anything to Jesus then. Find that in the Bible for me, would you? Never happens like that. Never happens. How many fish did Peter have? When Jesus said, get your nets dirty again and launch out. How many did he have? It's a big fat zero, wasn't it? He got nothing. The moment of obedience is what leads to the miraculous. And you read it through those verses 6 to 10 as the miraculous unfolds because of the obedience of verse 5. Read it for yourself. But then there's something else comes in verse 11 of this passage. Because the call of Jesus into a fuller life comes on the, on the back of the miraculous, but that only comes because of obedience. Come on, Christians. Are you saying, when I hear the call, the great grand call, then it'll never come. It'll never come. Peter found Jesus in his boat you know, his salvation experience was interesting. He was obedient in the first instance because he had a heart hunger born of disappointments. And he launched out and miracles started to flow. And then he knew what his life was for. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting? Are you waiting to understand everything? Never will. Are you waiting for the miracle to come? It follows obedience. Are you waiting for the grand call? It follows the little call. The little call. Just that little call of do this one simple thing. Do this one act of kindness. Make this Christmas connection. Be a part of a transformed community. Connect with other people in discipleship and mission. You know, just get, come out to town and tell somebody about Jesus. If you give them a mince pie, we're going to do that in a few weeks, no doubt. It's a little call. And you've got so used to the little calls that you don't think they mean anything anymore. You'll never get a big call until you respond to the little calls. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I know I'm not Jesus. 
I thought that was funny. <laughs> I know I'm not. Occasionally, I'll give you a little call and it'll just be flat out wrong. I will, because I'm a human being. And I'm trying to hear God as best as I can and follow him as faithfully as I can. Sometimes I'm going to get it wrong. I'm not going to ask for an amen at that point. But I will get it right. Because Christ is in me, the hope of glory. I will get it right. Because his spirit is the guarantee of my salvation. He's holding me until the day of his coming. I will get it right. Not because I'm any great I am. But because Jesus is calling me. Little by little by little. And I resolve to be obedient. He's in my boat. He's in my boat. Which is good because I have no idea what to do with the boat to be honest. He's in my boat. You, uh, and we've talked about it before, you probably know about the story of Dunkirk. Did anyone see the movie recently? It was an amazing movie, wasn't it? The sound, ugh, just got you in the gut. And um, it's the story of how everything was going wrong in the Second World War, yeah? And this fascist war machine was sweeping across Europe and ill-prepared, well-meaning forces were trying to stem the tide but without a great deal of success in those initial days and they resolved the British and the French they'd fall back that they'd have a managed retreat as much as that was possible so that they might regroup and come again and so they end up on those beaches of Dunkirk and you know the story and they're being assailed left and right the Luftwaffe from above and the army from below and there's U-boats in the channel and the situation looks absolutely terrible. And, you know, the, the, the Navy have got some sort of a plan uh, to, to get people out and they're um, taken across these enormous great big ships and they've commandeered some enormous ocean-going liners because they think we've got a lot of people, thousands, tens of thousands, a big catch to be had here. We're going to have to send the big boats to get the job done. Do you know how the story unfolded and how it went? Do you know about this? Those big boats went, some of them bristling with guns. They looked really impressive. You know, they're the real top draw. And most of them, many of them, hold beneath the waterline by U-boats, bombed from above. Men gathered around them or on them being strafed and destroyed because it simply wasn't enough for the big boats to be able to scoop up the people and get out. In fact, in large part, it just wasn't happening at all. What made the difference? What made the change in that situation? Do you know what made the change in that situation? You know about this, don't you? It was the little boats, wasn't it? It's the little boats. It was a ragtag assortment of little boats which didn't have guns, didn't look very well prepared, didn't look well suited. I was going to ask you to start looking around the church at this point, but I don't know. Sounds rude, doesn't it? Genuinely, church, there's something glorious in being a ragtag bunch. And if you're waiting for a big boat to come, God help you, you might think I'm one. That's a desperate situation for you, bless you. If you're waiting for a big boat to come and get the job done, 
I tell you, it cannot. It cannot. There is no other way. The little boats came, and a dozen here, and 30 there, and 50 there, and 100 there, and a couple of hundred there, and a few more there, and thousands, tens of thousands were saved from desperate circumstances and near death. Jesus is in my boat. He is. And I, I don't say that, it's not a sense of pride. It's a statement of fact. Um, and it's come about from entirely the opposite of pride, if I'm honest. And you, you have Jesus in your boat in some way, you know that it's not pride. But come on. Are you hearing the call of Jesus? You see, I, I, I want to push my boat out into deeper waters. And I do so on occasion. Thanks be to God. But you're not supposed to get in my boat. All right? You're not supposed to get in my boat. Not because I don't like you. Honestly, that's, some of you are not convinced about that, are you? You're like, Pastor Greg doesn't want me in his boat. Has he got food in his boat? It's probably what it is. You're not supposed to get in my boat. It's not because I don't like you. It's because you already have a boat. And it's little like mine. And it doesn't look great like mine. But you're supposed to have Jesus in your boat. Is Jesus in your boat. Because if Jesus ain't in your boat, you're never getting off that shore. You're never going anywhere. Your nets are going to hang to dry for all eternity and there'll be no hope for you. Jesus in your boats. But come on. Jesus got in Peter's boat, but Peter wasn't satisfied with that, though he was disappointed. He said, you know what? I've got a choice here. Do I just stay around in the shallows in the point of disappointment and say I'm never going to risk my boat because I've never seen anything much happen? Or are you willing to say, I want to be part of a flotilla of little boats. I want to go and get something done. Because I know there are people in desperate need. And I'm willing to say, Jesus in my boat, let's go. When we were kids in Sunday school, we used to sing, with Jesus in the boat, you can smile at the storm. Do you remember that? Did anybody ever sing that when they were kids? Did I dream this? No. With Jesus in the boat, you can smile at the storm. There were signs, weren't there? Little uh, actions. Smile at the storm. Smile at the storm. You're smiling at me now. Ah, I think I'm deranged. <laughs> With Jesus in the boat, you can smile at the storm. But I tell you what, if you leave it there, then you are deranged. <laughs> Excuse me. Because with Jesus in the boat, you're not supposed to stay in the shallows and say, oh, isn't it great that I'm not there in the storm? You're supposed to put out to sea. You're supposed to put out to sea. And you heard the word of God before as it came and we had a word of tongues and there was some um, element of, of interpreting or inviting us into that. And it was, do you feel inadequate? If I was to say, put your hands up if you ever feel inadequate. I think you'd have all your hands and your feet up, wouldn't you? I would. See me on my back here with everything. Just We feel inadequate. But with Jesus in the boat, we are called to launch out. My boat's not enough. You can't get in it. It's just room for me, Jesus, and lost people. 
but I'd love for your boat to come alongside. So Peter's out there and the miraculous catch comes and he calls to his partners, people who are they're with him. Heart and soul, heart and soul, I'm with you. James and John come and they haul in the catch, so much so that both boats feel like they're about to sink. Oh God, that that would be the kind of catch we would see. Peter falls to his knees and he knows his sinfulness, he knows his inadequacy. But Jesus calls him nonetheless. He says, you know what? You're going to be a fisher of men from here on in. You're going to be a fisher of men. I heard of a hard winter in the Appalachian mountain area. You know where that is in America? East side, big old mountain range. And the snow had piled up deeper and deeper. The mercury dropped, rivers froze, and people suffered. The Red Cross used helicopters to fly in supplies. One crew had been working day after day for such long hours. They were on their way home late in the afternoon when they saw a little cabin all but submerged in the snow. There was a thin whisper of smoke coming from the chimney. And the rescue team figured that these poor people were probably about out of food and fuel and medicine. Because of the trees, they had to put the helicopter down even about a mile away. They put on heavy packs with emergency supplies and trudged through the waist-high, heavy snow, step by step. And they reached the cabin, exhausted, panting, perspiring. They pounded on the door. And a thin, gaunt mountain woman opened the door and this lead guy from the Red Cross gasped, we're from the Red Cross. She was silent for a moment and then she said, it's been a hard winter, Sonny. I just don't think we can give anything this year. <laughs> when you hear this call this morning. I wonder if you really hear what's being said. There's both invitation and challenge. Jesus, just as with Peter, truly invites you to come and follow him, to be with him, to walk with him, to learn from him, to be changed and nourished by him, even made to be like him in all of his grace and his truth. But Jesus also challenges us to go in his power and in his authority, to go and make disciples, to teach the obedience which we ourselves are living. You know, the Red Cross, it needs donations, and the kingdom of God does need disciple makers. And he will come to you as you have need. He'll come and give you what you need, but then he will call from you what is needed. And I wonder if you can be perceptive here this morning to hear what is being said to you, not just by me, but by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. The old mountain woman saw people piled up with supplies and she thought they just wanted the change in her pocket. <clears throat> Will you hear what the Spirit is saying? For those of you who have been called and comforted and changed by the grace of Jesus Christ, will you hear his command to go in his authority and to make disciples? Will you hear?
but not just here, to do and to go and to be. It might be there's a few of you here this morning who've never heard the invitation of Jesus. Well, come on, hear it. You can't go until you first come. Come to Jesus. You're weary, you're heavy laden. He promises to give you rest. Do you need his hope, his freedom, his forgiveness? He promises all those things and more. Come first. But come on, church. Go. 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 I look out at you this morning. I'm calling you out. Not to fight with me. To fight together with me. I know that Jesus is in my boat. Chapter 4, Jesus was teaching and showing the miraculous. And the people in that town, they said, as Jesus got ready to leave, they said, oh, don't go, Jesus. Stay with us. Stay doing this. Let's stay doing these nice things that we've been doing so far. And Jesus said to them, he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. I have to tell you today, church, I have not been sent by Jesus Christ, saved and equipped by him, simply to maintain what we have now. That is not the calling of God upon my life. And if either I or you allow that to be the substance of my life from this day forward, we, one of us will answer to God for it. I must resolve to do as he has called me. I cannot stay in the experience of yesterday. I cannot stay by the shore saying, isn't it nice that Jesus is in my boat? I cannot do so. I have been called so that others may know. I would tell you, Jesus is in your boat for the same reason. Don't tell one another to stay. Don't make our excuses. The time for excuses is long since passed. There's a call to launch out. There's a call to go. These verses, they trouble me in the scripture as I think of how my time is spent with just simply maintaining what we have. God help me. Maybe you could help me. Help me with a few things so that you and I can both go. Help me. I need it. Get a loud amen for pastor needs help. Serious. There's another verse in chapter 4 that troubles me so immensely. For as Jesus proclaimed the kingdom and he said, this is being fulfilled, it's here and now, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. Jesus Christ was rejected by the people in his hometown and he said, you know, a prophet's without honor in his hometown. And you know, that verse troubles me like I can't tell you troubles me it troubles me so immensely I was born and raised here I went away for a bit but God called me back here and I believe that that was the case but there are some days when I can't get this out of my head and I wonder God what if it's the case that they won't come with me do they need somebody else do they need a different boat to come it troubles me can't tell you how. I feel the call. And I can, I can teach you from the scriptures till the cows come home. I can. 
I want to push my little boat out. You know, come on, would you be honest with me? Would you be honest with me? If you need a different boat here, then would you tell me? But if you want to come out with me, let's get our little fleet going. Let's get out into the deep water, because that's why Jesus is in our boat in the first place. Then would you do it? Would you stop waiting? I know there are challenges. Peter knew there were challenges. But they found a way to fix them as they went along. Peter did what he could. Obedience. And God did the rest. I can't do miracles. I can't. And neither can you. But I can put my boat out and put my nets in the water. I can be obedient. I can do what I can do and let God do what God can do. I believe that what I'm preaching and teaching to you this morning is, by God's grace, a prophetic word. I want to call forth something into being. And I want to call you out. Because that's the mandate that God gives to the people who have to shepherd the flock. And the rest is up to you. Is Jesus in your boat? Are you willing to push out? Can we see the miraculous? Can we hear God's call? Time for excuses is long past. Would you pray with me today? Would you understand what I mean by that? I don't mean please close your eyes and wait for me to pray. When I say would you pray with me, what I mean is would you pray with me? Would you start even now? It might be this morning that you've never, ever, 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 ever had Jesus in your boat. If that's the case this morning, please don't misunderstand It's not that there were two boats and Jesus picked somebody else's and he's not interested in yours. If you're here this morning, it's because Jesus is interested in your boat. You understand what I mean. He cares about your life. He cares about you. And he, he would love to be in your life. He would love to be directing your boat. He would love to be leading you on. Now this morning, if you're saying, I've never invited Jesus into my boat, I'm not really sure whether I have and he's in my boat, he's in my life, he's directing my life. Then today, Jesus says you can make sure and you can make sure with the same simple trust that Peter had. Simple trust, that's all you need. I want to pray for you and everyone in the church, we're we're just all praying together, our eyes are closed and we're just seeking him. But if this morning you're saying, I want to be sure that Jesus is in my boat, in my life, I want to be sure that he's directing my life. That I want to pray for you that you would know the truth of that so that I can pray for you. I want you to do something that's brave, but it's simple, just like Peter. He was brave, he was honest, but he was simple, he just obeyed. So that I can pray for you. Would you raise up your hand so I can see it? And I'm going to pray that you would know that Jesus is in your boat and that he's directing your life. If that's you this morning, just go right ahead. You know, if you want to be sure, you want to be certain, then pop your hand up, I'll see it, and I'll pray with you. Is there anybody here this morning? I saw you. That's all right. That's great. There's somebody here. Anybody else want to say yes, absolutely? 
I want this wonderful Jesus in my boat, in my life. I want him to direct my life. If that's you this morning, put your hand up. Let's join this other gentleman. I'll pray for you. That's okay. All right. Lord Jesus Christ, for those who are seeking, I pray that this day they would find. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for those who make an invitation to you, that they would know you coming in, Lord Jesus. It means you come in a bit like a whirlwind, but you also come in and you bring peace. Not like the world gives, you give better peace, I pray. They would know that, Lord Jesus Christ. I pray today, Jesus, would be a day of obedience. And not the only day of obedience, but the day of many days of obedience. And no matter what other calls there may be upon life, Lord Jesus, let lives be lived in obedience. Grant your spirit to enable this, Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in your name. This morning, this morning, and I know time has flown. I'm not trying to use your time flippantly. I want to use your time purposefully. This morning, I know that for many of us, most of us, we would say, Jesus is in my boat. But we still find ourselves hearing the call of Jesus to have a go, to put our boats out, and we've never tried that. And so we're aware that Jesus is in the boat, but we're not aware of much else. I would ask you today, and not because it's about today, it's about tomorrow, truly. It's about what you're going to do tomorrow. It's about the way that you're going to gather with other Christians who are part of this church. You're not going to say, I can't give the time. You're going to say, I must give the time. It's not that you're going to say tomorrow, I can't possibly serve. You're going to say, I need to serve because there's a job to do. It's that tomorrow you're going to say, I am going to find ways, not on my own, but with others. I'm going to find ways to share the good news of Jesus because it's got to be done. People got to hear. They need this hope and this help. It's, it's about tomorrow. But today, I'm going to invite you to say, I am being certain about launching my boat into tomorrow. And I'm not going off on my own. There are hundreds of boats here. I'm going to join with all these other boats and we're going to get out into the deep. And we're going to go. We're going to make a difference. If you want to launch your boat today, then I'm going to invite you in a moment to stand to your feet. Don't stand to your feet because other people are doing it. Because if that's the case, your boat will still stay on the shore. That's the truth of it. Stand to your feet because you're committed and you're sincere about launching your boat out into the deep waters, out into the blue ocean. Stand to your feet because you say, I hear the call of Jesus. And You know, it might just sound like a little something right now, but I'm not going to wait for some grand scheme. I'm going to get going with the simple acts of faith that mean that people's lives are going to be changed. With Jesus in the boat, I'm not simply content to smile at the storm. I want to get about rescuing people from the storm. I want to get about getting other people and introducing them to Jesus so that he can be in their boat as well. The time for excuses for me is past. I will not say I cannot but I will say Jesus can. And I will resolve to give Jesus the helm of my boat. I will resolve to let the Spirit be in my sails. And I will go with my partners in this and I will see the kingdom of God come. If that's your prophecy this morning, if that's what you want to call forth into being, 
even if you wanted to call yourself out, if you've not yet stood and you want to, then go right ahead. This morning, we're going to do something because my boat's no bigger or better than yours. And I know some of you, you love it when the pastor prays from the pulpit. My boat's not bigger or better than yours. We're going to do a bit like what Peter did. In belief and in faith, though the catch might not yet be here, we're going to believe that it is. And what we're going to do is we're going to call to the Jameses and Johns next to us. Understand me, that doesn't mean that if your name's not James or John, you're out. It means that we're just going to encourage each other. Can we do that this morning? Because one boat called another and they came and they, they saw it happen together. So if you feel that you are able, can I say to you, would you just pray for the person that's alongside of you? It doesn't have to be fancy. What did Peter shout to James and John? He was out in the deep and they were on the shore. What do you think Peter shouted to James and John? What do you think? Come on, use your imagination. What do you think he shouted? I think a few of you are getting it. He didn't say, oh, we need to perform Maneuver 75 Part B. He didn't say, oh, you, I need such and such piece of equipment. Da, 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 da. He said, help. Help. Help, it's great. And I need you. And I want to do this with you. Let's go together. So can you pray that for each other? Can you just pray that for each other? And just say, God, let's, let's go together. Let's go in your strength with you in the boat. Help. 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 Help, God. Would you just help us? Would you cause us, Lord Jesus, to make this more than words, but real reality, truth, Lord God, and sincerity? Lord Jesus Christ, would you enable us to go? And Lord Jesus, enable us to make the difference in this world that you're calling us to make. Lord Jesus Christ, would you do that?